Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include volatility in the market, my interview with Polunsky Vital Green attorney Andy Duane on recent capital rules, plans, changes by U.S. bank regulators, and some job indicators ahead of Friday's payrolls report. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Candor. Candor's patented automated underwriting decision engine, Cognitech, is a state-of-the-art, 100% machine platform that can handle infinite loan scenarios. The portability allows clients to plug in the technology wherever an underwrite happens during a loan life cycle, from point of sale to servicing. Clients can instantly scale to match loan volumes, improve quality to mitigate repurchase risk and boost liquidity. Candor. Can do. Yesterday was yet another volatile day in rates and mortgage-backed securities as rates staged another breakout to higher yields after shrugging off month-end buying and some weak data. While volatility remains elevated, it also remains range-bound, and sentiment is that the Fed is finally finished with its historically aggressive pace of tightening. On the data front, we received a weaker-than-expected ISM manufacturing survey for July as the manufacturing economy continues to contract. New orders improved, and Pricing pressures continue to fall. Supply delivery times decreased, and overall the news on pricing should be good for the Fed as it looks like its tightening policy is having the desired effect. There was also a smaller-than-expected increase in June construction spending, which came in at 0.5%, after increasing an upwardly revised 1.0% in May. Residential spending continues to be powered by new single-family construction to meet demand that cannot be satisfied through the existing home market. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show Polunsky Vital Green, attorney Andy Duane, to talk about recent capital rules plans changes by U.S. bank regulators. He's an associate at Polunsky Vital Green, bringing a variety of mortgage industry experience to his work supporting lenders on issues relating to file underwriting, complex loan products, and post-closing matters. He's due diligence certified by the International Due Diligence Organization, and before joining Polunsky Vital Green, he processed loans for a boutique mortgage lender. It was revealed last week that U.S. regulators unveiled a sweeping set of proposed changes to banks' capital requirements to address evolving international standards in the recent regional banking crisis. The changes proposed in these amendments are just that, proposals. The public comment schedule ends November 30th, and should everything pass muster, large banks, those with greater than $100 billion in assets, would begin transitioning to the new framework on July 1st, 2025, with full compliance starting July 1st, 2028. There's a lot that can happen between then and now, not to mention more than one election cycle. Large bank spending on lobbying has jumped 20% late, so keep in mind it's indeterminate what side of the dice we'll be facing up when all this is said and done. The possible implications of these proposed changes is to incentivize banks to securitize a larger share of their mortgage loans rather than hold them, since securitized mortgages, in the form of mortgage-backed securities, have lower risk weightings under both current and proposed bank capital rules. In a worst-case scenario, banks may feel it best not to make high LTV loans in the first place. I want to start by asking you to bring listeners up to speed on these capital capital rules plans proposed by U.S. bank regulators. It's definitely been in the news, but what's going on? Give us the lowdown. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Or long-time listener, first-time caller, right? But last week, uh, the FDIC, Office of the Comptroller, or 
Currency and Comptroller and the Federal Reserve put out a notice of proposed rulemaking and uh, asked for comment on these rules that would increase the capital requirements for large banks and also change their models that used to assess that risk. Uh, the proposed rules are the implementation of Basel III, which is, as you know, a set of international banking standards. Um, but this is the American adaptation of that global framework and more tailored uh, for the requirements and characteristic of the US banking system. And their capital requirements, the money they would have to hold based on these new standardized risk models would be increased. And I'm showing in my research that would affect about 30 of the largest banks in the country. And the goal was to increase that capital requirement to better reflect underlying risk, to make the banking system more uh, resilient to any contagion, moral hazard. And that's, that's good. Capital is a good thing. Uh, the last banking turmoil in March and then definitely the Great Recession and other crises show us how quickly you know, bank runs can happen. And also in the last three years, I mean, COVID's 19 pandemic showed me that you got to kind of be prepared for the unknown and having an increase in capital, kind of the strength in the banking system um, is definitely a good idea. And that's what the crux of those a thousand pages were, not to get down into too much of the nitty gritty on it. It's for banks with a hundred billion dollars or more in assets. How much of the residential mortgage industry does that actually affect? That's a great question uh, because it would start up with those big banks and then it would kind of come down into how it would affect the residential mortgage industry um, because these rules are not for mortgage bank or lenders. These are kind of south or sound and safety bank regulations. And so the question is how could it increase in that capital requirement and how those institutions measure that risk impact our mortgage industry? And you could see. Uh, an increase in cost for lending. If banks know that they have to hold on to more capital for different types of loans, they might pass that cost or that fee down to the borrower. And so you could see them maybe retreat a little bit from single family mortgage lending, but where one door closes, another one kind of opens, another industry player might step in there and keep that an independent mortgage bank, which wouldn't have to have those capital requirements. But on the other side, um, there's been talk, how would that affect mortgage servicing rights if they have all these mortgages on their books? Would you see them maybe sell those to a non-institutional servicer? I did see a report the other day that Mr. Cooper was increasing liquidity. Um, and also, would it impact warehouse lines and that financing? So it kind of runs from the top down on this one. As the banks have to require more for those loans, would you see an increase in cost or an increase in rate from them? And so let's talk timelines here, Andy. Why, why is this happening now? I know, I know there's a, a, a lot of stuff going on uh, out of Washington, but, but why, why now for this? Yeah, it's actually been in the works for a while. Uh, Basel III was a response to the Great Recession. So it's been in work since then. And then March 2023, that banking turmoil happened, and you saw an increased push to actually implement and get these adopted in the system. Um, you know, I always say that the, the ghost of the Great Recession past is kind of still lingering in the American consciousness. And once March 2023 saw you saw push from regulators, politicians, and bankers to get it done, 
the March 2023, not to get into that, was a different cause than the Great Recession. But now they're trying to really strengthen and make the system resilient. Um, there is also parts of the proposal that change the models and standardize them across the board. At one point, banks could use their own models on some risk, and the others would use another time based on their own estimates. Now that would standardize it across the board, allowing for more consistency and transparent in the market. But time-wise, timeline-wise, you're seeing a continuation of work from a reaction to the Great Recession, and then also maybe a little bit of March 2023 coming in for those bank failures to really make the banking system a little bit more resilient, transparent, and consistent. So I know these rules include requirements for large lenders, residential mortgages that go beyond international standards. And I'm hoping you can kind of elaborate on, on these for us. Yeah, that, as uh, we say down here in Texas, that's kind of where the chip meets the dip for us on in the mortgage <laughs> side of these rules. Um, and it's an interesting part of the proposal. How they weigh the risks of that asset they have, there's a calculation that Basel III has the inner or the American proposed rulemaking would add 20 percentage points to that risk for the uh, capital requirements, making it even more expensive for the banks to have those on their books. So it would require more capital to do those types of loan. And how that is based off of is the LTV. So a higher LTV loan would require the bank to hold more capital on that. So the impact I see on that is if it's for a higher LTV loan, that's going to impact first-time home buyers, modern income housing, and you can see those banks increase the fees on it, maybe charge a higher interest rate because they know they have to hold more capital for that type of loan with a higher LTV. You might have IMB step in and then would they kind of pick up the slack in that area? Uh, I don't have a crystal ball. If I did, I probably wouldn't won the Powerball a week ago when it was so high. Um, but you can see there is a connection with these banks having to hold more capital for higher LTV loans, how that could come down to the borrower or impact the players in kind of a shuffling of the deck in the landscape. I, I think these are kind of, they go above and beyond what Basel III recommended. And I, I don't think it's warranted as much. I think in the last 15 years, um, especially after the Great Recession, implementation of Dodd-Frank, the CFPB, ability to repay. Our industry operates in a culture of compliance, I like to call it. We have stricter underwriting guidelines. We've really cleaned up our act, and we're not as big of a financial risk to the system that we were during the Great Recession. So I think this increase is a little bit unwarranted on that. And I think it, the Basel III framework is probably better this super surcharge, this gold surcharge on higher LTV loans, I think could negatively impact buyers years down the line who are going to have higher fees, higher interest rates to cover those capital requirements when we've already done enough in our industry to really clean those up and make them a lot better, not just for the borrower, but for the system as a whole. So this is uh, not to get into the nitty gritty of administrative agency law, which is a great class in law school. I definitely recommend it those who like to read a lot. Um, the system is they propose these rules and then the public has uh, here, they have 120 days to comment and send comments to the agencies regarding these proposed rulemakings. And I've seen the MBA and some other trade associations have put out comments on these 
talking about the LTV requirements and how that would affect the industry. And I definitely recommend to industry players that if you have thoughts on how this would affect you, um, your organizations or your associations, you have the ability to comment and it will be read by the agencies and as they finalize these rules. And so this this might not affect buyers for years and years, as you alluded to, but uh, it's going to be implemented sooner than that. So what, what's the implementation timeline for all this or, or kind of timelines in general here? Timeline is, so after the final rule, they're looking at a kind of a three-year rollout that would transition period would start July 1st, 2025 with full implementation and compliance with the rules, July 1st, 2028. So it would be farther down the line. Um, this isn't a next week, next month. This is a few years, but it will. you will probably see banks start to shift towards it and prepare for that because they know they have to hold more capital on their books for these different assets. Well put. So, Andy, I want to close by asking you kind of your, your opinion here. What do you expect moving forward uh, for from regulators, for companies, for borrowers, everything? What's, what's your opinion on this? Like I've said, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can kind of see where it's going. And I, I think an increase in capital requirements, you do run the risk of increasing costs to borrowers, increasing rates for fees if they know from if these big banks that are doing their loans have to charge it and that negatively impacts higher LTV loans, like I said, was first time home buyers, low and moderate income, which put another kind of roadblock into getting in that American dream of home ownership, which is the best method of wealth creation as we know. And so we could see the banks either hold that capital or maybe retreat from that a little bit from single family lending. And then we'd have non-institutional lenders kind of pick up that slack. So I do see also a shuffling of the deck. Um, like I mentioned also previously, how would mortgage servicing rights be affected? Would you see an increase in non-deposit or non-institutions hold on to those servicing rights? Um, also, would it affect warehouse lending? So I think it's important, and some commentators have come out, and I agree with that, that there really needs to be an economic study of how this would impact real estate financing, especially the residential mortgage side, would it be detrimental to the borrower? Um, as we saw during the Great Recession and through other crises in our history, we know what happens in Wall Street affects Main Street and what affects Main Street affects Wall Street. And I think it's important right now for the regulators and reading the comments and finalizing this rule to really take both those streets into account. Andy, very well put. It, it certainly will be interesting to see how things progress here. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you back on soon to discuss any developments. But for now, I, I really appreciate you making the time for me. And uh, thank you very much. You're welcome, Robbie. I appreciate it, sir. Ahead of Friday's payrolls report, job openings were $9.6 million at the end of July, according to the JOLTS report. Hires decreased to $5.9 million, with losses experienced in finance and manufacturing. The quits rate, which tends to forecast wage inflation, decreased to 2.4% from 2.6% in June and 2.7% a year ago. The jobs market remains exceptionally tight, but continues to show incremental signs of weakening. Job openings have fallen 20% since the Fed began tightening policy in March 2022, even with the unemployment rate trending sideways. 
Price growth is still elevated and a pullback in demand for workers ongoing. A soft landing remains far from assured, but this is an encouraging step towards inflation subsiding without a recession. Today's economic calendar kicked off with mortgage applications decreasing 3% from one week earlier, according to data from MBA. We've also received ADP employment in at 324,000, nearly twice as strong as expected. We'll learn the U.S. Treasury details of the quarterly refunding of three-year notes, 10-year notes, and 30-year bonds later today, where we can expect amounts to increase from previous auctions in the face of a Fitch downgrade of U.S. debt. We begin the day with Asian CMBS prices unchanged from Tuesday, and the 10-year yielding 4.04 after closing yesterday at 4.05%. The two years at 4.90%, showing no impact of Fitch's opinion in U.S. debt. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Now, Andy said he's a regular listener to the podcast and he asked for a special joke. So in honor of the big fight this last weekend between Spence and Crawford, I want to tell a boxing joke. But I forgot the punchline. Ha ha ha. Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Gander. Gander's patented automated underwriting decision engine, Cognitech, is a state-of-the-art, 100% machine platform that can handle infinite loan scenarios. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.